Lord Jesus, thank you that we can gather here this evening. Thank you for your word which changes lives and has power even as it created the world in six literal days. Lord, we lift up our church body at this time. We know that there are many who are physically sick during this season, others who are tired and weary, and many as we come to the end of the semester that are beset with many challenges. And so we just lift them up to you, and we thank you that we have a God who knows, who understands, and because of the cross, you care for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our great high priest who prays for us and intercedes for us and gives us mercy and grace in our time of need. And so we just pray for an abundance of mercy and grace for the members of our church, Lord. And we also pray in particular, Lord, for this evening, would you give us hearts to hear, soft hearts, Lord, and would you change us from this amazing word that you've given us in Titus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, we are on the home stretch of uh, Titus. We're coming to the end. And um, I have to tell you, as I've been preparing to close this series out with those last four verses, um, just how much the Lord has reminded me of what a privilege it is to have this book and how much, really, it's become near and dear to my heart. And I hope every year what happens for you, as it does for me, is, is really the Lord gives you this book. You own Titus in the same way that we own First Timothy and we own Ephesians and Philippians. And each of the books that we go through as we've walked through them, there's a book that you've done from beginning to end. Maybe you didn't understand it completely, but it's yours. It belongs to you. And you are able to carry it wherever you go and whatever you do. And your marriage is your home, your work. And one of the things I would encourage you to do this week is to go back. I've said that before. Read the first Three chapters, all of it, right? Again, but over the next week to read through with a mind to consider what is Christ saying to you through this word now that we've walked through it for the entire year. And as time goes on, some of those other books, Philippians, 1 Timothy, to go through them again and to consider what you've learned in the past, but also what the Lord is showing you. Because you are changing, you are growing, and God is bringing you through different trials and tribulations. The truths are the same, but as you go back and look at these things, I do believe that you will see so much more as you go through. Because God is maturing and growing you in your hearts. And so now we come to these final four verses in Titus. And in many ways, they're a summation of everything that has gone before. Um, what I am going to do is, uh, Kevin, would you come up and would you read for us um, Titus 3? And would you read, actually, um, verses 4 to the end of the chapter for us? So Titus 3, 4 through the end. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Thanks, Kevin. All right, this section of Titus, where does it come in Titus? At the beginning, the middle, or the end? Oh, I'm throwing softballs out there. Hit them hard. It's the end, right? And so this is really the summation of the entire book of Titus. And it's summed up in a series of instructions that Paul gives. These are final instructions. And they're instructions that come out of the gospel. Because God has saved you, because he has delivered you, from being a hateful and malicious and ugly and evil person, which we all were because the Apostle Paul says, we ourselves, Titus, you and myself. This is the Apostle Paul, right? We ourselves were once really ugly, godless, contrary to God. But now we're heirs of the faith. Why? Because of what we did, any works of righteousness? No, entirely what God has done through the washing and regeneration of the Spirit of God that has been poured into your life, through the work of Christ. Therefore, because of this, you must do these things. It's not the other way around. It's not, you must do these things so you can get to the gospel and be a good person. No, because Christ has done this work in your life and He has saved you and He's redeemed you and He has performed a miracle in your life because the risen Lord is alive and you are a living testimony that He is not dead but He is at work in your life. Because of that, you must do these things. And what follows is a series of final instructions. Okay, and I was telling the guys here, okay, I was giving Edmund a hard time. Edmund, because you're married... You need to go home every evening and be with your wife. You're an idiot. I guess I should watch what I say. You're foolish. Okay? If you did not do that, God has blessed you with a Christian wife. He's blessed you with a Christian marriage. Therefore, there are certain things that you must do Because God has blessed you with that to be a steward of that. And if you don't do those things, you will not have a fruitful and profitable life as a believer, specifically in your marriage. But if you do what Christ is directing you, you will have a fruitful life. And that's really the purpose of Titus. Okay, And where does it fit in in the context of Titus? I'm going to take you back so that we see the big picture of where this fits in and what Titus is all about. Can I have my first slide? Okay. Can you guys read that or is the print too small? Our theme for Titus is gospel order in a chaotic world. 
Okay, the assumption or the basis of this as you go through Titus is Paul is explaining to Titus within the context of the local church. When Christ comes into your life, he changes you. He transforms you. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. Your life should look different and the church should look different. And the way the Lord changes your life and your church is through the gospel. It doesn't just save you. It's what orders and empowers every aspect of your life. And as you mature and as you grow, your life, your marriage, your home, your parenting, your work, increasingly, if you are walking with the Spirit, it's going to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. Flatlining, staying the same, you've got a problem. Because when Christ comes in, he's going to grow you into his image. He promises to do that. He keeps his promises. And he's going to do whatever it takes, including trials and testing and hard times, to get you there. And so Paul is unfolding for Titus what needs to happen in this church plant in Crete that is filled with new believers who are figuring out their way. And they bring and have brought in with them into their Christian lives and in the church many of the influences of their past lives. So Paul is showing them, look, Titus, here's the instruction of how this church is to be put in order. The work of the Spirit is going to work according to the Spirit's blueprint. And that blueprint is the gospel. Okay? Now, big picture, as we've said before, it begins with Paul writing as a slave of Christ and as an apostle. So this letter is actually the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is Acts 9. Being spoken through the Apostle Paul, his messenger or his ambassador. Simply, he's just bringing the message that Christ has given to him, to Titus, and to the church at Crete, and to us. These are Christ's words for us. And we need to read them that way. Okay, this is not an ancient letter. These are Christ's words for us in this church. And as we walk through, we need to consider, Christ is speaking to us. What is he saying? Okay, and historical context, we believe that this was written around A.D. 62 or 64 by the Apostle Paul. And what Paul is unfolding for Titus is, okay, Titus, this is the work that you need to do in Crete to put this church in order so that it is a fruitful church for the sake of the gospel, so that it is a profitable church. Hopefully you want to go to a church that is profitable and fruitful. What do we mean by profitable and fruitful? That in your life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the gospel is abounding yet more. Not only are people getting saved through you, but your life increasingly looks like Christ. And as people see you and interact with you, they taste the life of Christ, not the life of the world. Okay? Love, joy, peace, self-control, endurance in the face of opposition, stamina and faithfulness and kindness and generosity in the face of poverty and adversity. Okay, many of the testimonies that we see that are coming out of Ukraine right now, okay? Or in Muslim countries of believers who are persevering and enduring. Maybe their churches aren't growing, but what we see as a witness to the world is that Christ is alive and he is active and he is at work and he is doing the work of the Father by saving sinners and bringing them against all odds into his kingdom. Well, what's the blueprint for that? What does that look like in the local church? That's why Titus has been given. He's giving him the steps of how to move forward so that this church can become a fruitful church from an immature church or a new church. 
We're not to stay the same. And that's what Titus is about. Can I have my uh, next slide, please? Okay, what does that blueprint look like? And I guess one other thing is as a church matures as a gospel church, as a life matures as a gospel life, we are going to, by our words and deeds, affirm what is true of the gospel and we are going to rebuke and renounce what the world is. Okay? That's just what's going to happen because that's what happened to Jesus all the way to the cross, right? He says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my followers would be fighting, carrying swords, shooting pistols, forming lobby groups, starting programs. They're not. Okay? So what does the Titus blueprint look like? What is the gospel? Well, it's the gospel. Okay? And if you have your Bibles, have a look at Titus 2, 11 through 14. Each chapter, Paul anchors his instructions in the gospel. It begins with the gospel. Titus, do this. Okay? Chapter 2, he talks and gives instructions. Then he brings them to the gospel in the center. Chapter 3, what we just read. The gospel is in the center. It's anchored every step of the way with the gospel. And the truth that he's pointing out to Titus is, Titus, this is not your game plan or program. It's Christ. It's been put in place before the foundation of the world. And it's very clear and it's very simple. What does 2, 11 through 14 say? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It starts with the grace of God. And it has come. Training us. That means we need to learn. That means we don't start knowing what to do. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Those are desires. And to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. This is affirmation. This is exhortation. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, separation, right? And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's sanctification. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and earth. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke Titus with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Okay? Many ways that's, you know, Teddy taught on this. It's the centerpiece of Titus and it's right there in the middle. Okay? And it provides for us this blueprint with which the whole letter is about and all the applications and all the instructions come out of. It begins not with us. It begins with God's grace. The church is not about you. This is not your place of self-expression or to find your dream or to find your giftedness. It begins with Christ and it begins with His grace which has appeared in Christ's earthly ministry as death on the cross and the resurrection. Unmerited favor that we did not deserve. God could have left us to burn. Okay? Where does that grace bring us? It saves us and redeems us so that Christ is the Lord of our life. He's the king. He gets to make the choices, not us. We follow his lead. He's not following us. He is the light of our life. That means we look to him for counsel and wisdom and discernment. He is the love of our life, the great treasure 
for which everything is worth being sacrificed for, including our very own lives. Maybe our jobs, maybe our friendships, maybe family members. He's worth everything. I count it all as scubalon, as dung, in comparison for the worth of knowing Christ. And brothers and sisters, when times are hard, when you see that what it's all about is Christ and He's the great treasure, it starts to encourage you and put things in perspective. He is the life of our life. Our house, His household. When Christ is not present, when He is not being obeyed, when we're not walking in the light, we have no life at all. All we have is darkness and death. He's everything. That is the grace that's been revealed to us. And how does that grace work in our lives? It works step by step through a process. And that's called sanctification. And that's Christ's Spirit poured into you. And how does Christ's Spirit work? Does He give you special signs, special gifts? Are there special miracles that happen? Well, it's very clear through Titus. It happens through the gospel message. It happens through Christ's Word. Okay, it's not directly addressed in Titus. It's more addressed in Acts and Paul's other epistles like Ephesians. It's through the ministry of prayer. All of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. It's through our time with Christ. And Christ works in our lives through the ministry of the word and prayer. His word changes lives because he's God and it's got power. That's what saved you. Christ speaking into your life. It's from the ministry of the word and prayer that we're given sound doctrine. That's the teaching of Christ. What are the principles that our lives and this church and our marriages and our work, what are they bound by? You've got two choices. It's your ideas of the world and that's going to fall and it's going to crumble or it's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're not going to have sound doctrine if you don't have his word and you don't have prayer. It's his doctrine and his duty. This is what Paul is showing in Titus. Here's the gospel, here's what you do. Here's the gospel, here's what you do. They go hand in hand. Doctrine without duty, okay, just leads to pride. But if your life is truly submitted to the teaching of Jesus Christ, you're going to not only hear him, but if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to do what he says, okay? And so the church and your marriage and your life and your work is built around your time with Christ walking in the light and from that, his doctrine in your life and his duties in your life. The call of duty, right? A video game. Well, the call of duty is really your call to be obedient to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And from that doctrine and duty comes affirmation and rebuke. Either what you're doing is consistent with the gospel, either what you're saying is consistent with the gospel, or it's contrary to it. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. And as you grow with Christ, your life is either going to be an affirmation or a rebuke of those around you, and it's going to separate you. It's going to separate your friends, your family members, all of those other things. Affirmation and rebuke. And this is what Jesus did with the disciples. This is what Jesus did with everybody who was around him. His life was either an affirmation or a rebuke. This is either pointing towards God or taking you away from God. And finally, the summation or the evidence of His Word at work in your life, the Spirit, His grace, is going to be work that is fruitful in your life. His work and His fruit, not yours. 
And we're going to deal with this in a little bit. But this is the blueprint and pattern of what a marriage is supposed to be like in Christ, what a life is supposed to be in Christ, what a church is supposed to look like. This is what it's built around. It ain't a church if it's not built around the lordship of Christ and his gospel. Plain and simple. A program in a church not honoring to God if it's not built around his gospel, his lordship, if it doesn't flow out of the ministry of the word and prayer, otherwise it's just a bunch of self-righteous works that we pat ourselves on the shoulder. He is the light. He is the life. Apart from him, John 15, you can do nothing and all you have is a counterfeit gospel. And so the apostle Paul is protecting Titus and saying, look, this is the blueprint. Stick with the blueprint and get busy with the blueprint. Because this is where Christ is leading you. He's promised to do it. He's going to finish the good work that he's begun. And either this is a church that's walking with Christ, or it's a group of people who are opposing Christ, and he's going to shut it down. Can I have my next slide, please? Okay. Why is Paul giving Titus this instruction? It's because the only way that there's going to be fruit in your life and mine the only way there's going to be fruit in your marriage, your work, any aspect of your life, if it's anchored to Christ. And if it's anchored to Christ, Christ is going to work in your life through the ministry of the word and prayer. He's going to work through his doctrine and his duty. And he's going to work through coming into your life and correcting you and affirming what's good and telling you, hey, there's some things that need to go. And he's going to bring you to a place where you're equipped to do good works that come from him, not from you. And so on the left-hand side, I think my left, okay, we see his doctrine, his desires, his duties. All right? That's what Jesus does. Okay? Paul talks about you have these former evil passions, these strong desires for destructive things in your life. What does Christ do when he comes in with his Holy Spirit? First, he tells you, hey, the way you were, that was all wrong. The truth that you lived by, all wrong. You were living by lies. This is the gospel. It begins with the gospel. And the gospel comes in and it changes the desires of our hearts. You know that, right? Why are you here on a Wednesday night instead of out at some bar or out at some professional meeting or doing something that's furthering your career? Hopefully it's because the Lord has changed the desire of your heart and giving you an appetite and desire to learn more of his word. Why? For what end? So that you can carry out his duties. So that you can do the work of the Lord. Now a lot of people feel what the need is for a deacon is just that you're able to do good work. I'm excellent at doing A, B, and C, and D. Because I excel and bring a lot of value to the table, I'm a deacon. No. You can't serve the Lord in a way that's pleasing to Him if your heart is not changed and you're not doing it with the desire to honor Him and if you're not anchored in His doctrine. You're not equipped unless you're growing in His Word. Otherwise, you're just doing works of self-righteousness that one day are going to be exposed and will do destruction to the church. And there's plenty of churches that are there. Christ comes in. He changes our doctrine, our way of thinking, our desires, and through that, he changes the work that we do. How does that work in the church? Well, you see in Titus, Titus chapter 1, he transforms the leadership of the church. And it starts with doctrine. Men of character whose lives have changed 
All of those attributes that they're talking about. They're talking about men. Those are the fruit in their lives of men whose doctrine has changed. Their desires have changed. They're not taking a bribe. They're not getting drunk. Okay? They have have self-control. Their lives have been transformed. And they are all about doing the duty of the Lord. That's the number one thing on their mind, which is sharing the gospel. So he starts with the leadership. The leadership is to be transformed by the gospel. Chapter 1. Chapter 2. Your home is to be transformed by the gospel. How wives work. How husbands work. How we interact with one another. How we love one another. Chapter 2. Your home life. Your domestic life. If you're single and you're with roommates. The gospel is to be the blueprint. Okay? Chapter 3. Our work. How we get along with coworkers who are unbelievers, who treat us poorly, okay? How we interact with them. That is to be transformed by the gospel. And you see the Lord is working inside out. And this is what a church is supposed to be. Because what a church is supposed to be is we are a household of God. We are a consulate of the heavenly kingdom in a dark world. So whenever anybody walks by, they see, okay, this is the kingdom of heaven here. And their attention they see because a flag is being waved. And when they walk through the door, they realize the people who are here, their citizenship is in a different place. We're here to do the work of the Lord for Christ's heart and compassion for sinners that there are lost sheep who are dying in their sins. And he has left us here so that he can bring them to salvation in mercy and grace. The same mercy and grace that's been given to us. And where does that happen? A local church that has been transformed by the gospel. That's big picture. That's what Titus is about. Can I have my next slide, please? Why is there an urgency? When you read through Titus, you see that many of the words that are used, there's a sense of urgency that Paul has. Okay? It's not, you know, God's going to take care of everything. No problem. Just ride the wave. There's a sense of urgency with Paul in this letter. Why is it? Well, the explanation is given in Titus 1, 10, and 11. Titus 1, 10, 10, 11, if you would read that with me. For there are many, and he's referring to people who are in the church, who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Okay? The church is not yet perfected and we will not be until Christ comes. If we're blessed and new believers are coming and we're growing, people are coming in, they are getting saved, but they're bringing their past with them just like in our marriages. And Paul is pointing out that there is pushback happening in the church against Christ and his gospel. There is a war going on, not just out there. There's a war going on in our hearts, and there's a war going on in the church. And that war is coming from Satan, and it's an attack on the person and lordship of our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How does it present itself? Well, it's interesting as you look at verse 10. He talks about insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. I'm identifying this, brothers and sisters, because if you heard people from the circumcision party, many of you would have thought they were legit. They believed in the Bible. They said, we should study the Bible. They believed that God created the world in six literal days. 
They believed we should obey God's word. They believed that we need to believe in Jesus and that Jesus is the Messiah and he's Lord. Check, 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 check. And they believed that we should do a lot of good works as well. They just brought in a piece of their past that you need to be circumcised, okay, as part of the old covenant in order to be a member of the local church, part of the household of God. Now you fill in the blank in your life. In order to be a good member of the church, you need to tithe. In order to be a good member of the church, you need to show up at Lagos. In order to be a good member of the church, you need to be giving food to the poor. In order to be a good member of whatever, Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose, you need to do A, B, C, D, and E. All the things that we use and discriminate against other people because they don't do like us. And that is the gospel plus me. When the gospel comes into your life, there is no room for you. There's only room for Christ. Once it becomes the gospel plus me, it's a different gospel. We're selling ourselves rather than Christ. And we're looking to increase and influence for our kingdom rather than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it comes in in every generation, in every form, and in every church. And it's always in the white spaces. And there will always be a battle in your heart, your home, your life for these things. And we start to not talk so much about Christ and His rule and we start to talk about all the things that we need to do. They go hand in hand together. You lose Christ, you end up with a different gospel. And that is happening in Crete. And quite frankly, it was happening in Ephesus as well. And Paul says, because of this battle... Titus, you need to do these things. What's your protection? You walk with Christ. You stand with Christ. And you stay close to the gospel every step of the way. Because one step away from the gospel, everything's lost. Your marriage, your home, your work. They're no longer a testimony of the gospel in Christ. They're a testimony of you. And that's kind of pathetic. Okay? And so what's the battle? It's the world's deception. It's the world's divisiveness. It's the world's destruction. We bring these things in when we don't walk with Christ. What does Christ do in our life? It's His doctrine. It's His unity. It's His work of salvation. That's what we're all about. And this brings us to those final verses. Could I have my next slide, please? From verse 8 to 15, what Paul is doing at the very end is he's giving final instructions, which are essentially a summary of everything that he's written about in Titus. Here's the blueprint. Here's the gospel. This is where Christ is taking you. Titus, this is how you implement what the Spirit is doing in and through you in the local church in Crete. Verse 8, each command, as you go through, there's a command. These are imperatives. Imperatives mean non-optional. These are Christ's commands for his church. That means individually and as a church and as a leadership, these are the priorities in our lives, okay? And so he points out, hey, there's a priority and necessity. Verse 8. What does verse 8 say? The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. These things refers to verse 3 through 7. Paul and Titus's conversion story in the gospel. Insist on these things. Stand on the gospel. Insist on the gospel. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. What's the implication here? 
there's not going to be good works if you're not devoted to sound doctrine. You can't do good works if you're not growing in Christ and His Word. And what are good works? JC went over this with us. It's not feeding the poor. It's not showing up and giving huge donations. It's not starting hospitals. Good works, when you go through, just do a study, just say good works and go through your New Testament. Just type in good works, okay, in your ESV and just read all the context. Very simply, good works, when Paul refers to good works, Jesus says there is no one good but who? Good teacher, said the rich young ruler. Why do you call me good? I think it was the rich young ruler. One of the guys says, good teacher. And what does Jesus say? Why do you call me good teacher? Why did he say that? There is no one good but God. Right, Matt. Okay? Good works are the works of God. And in the gospel, God is at work in you. And the works of God will always separate people from their sin and bring them to the cross and bring them to God. That's what God's work will always do without fail. God's work is never going to leave you in your sin. God's work is never going to condone what is contrary to the gospel. God's word is never going to exalt and give you a pat on the shoulder for all your works of self-righteousness. It's going to break all of those things as it did in the Apostle Paul's life in order to show you your frailty and weakness and your need for a Savior and a King who loves you and has given His life for you. Good works are the works of the Gospel. They are God's work. We are to insist on the Gospel and the sound doctrine of the Gospel in every aspect of our life because without it, we will never do good works. We'll do what appears to be good works. We'll do our works that other people are going to pat us on the shoulder. But God sees and he knows. And sooner or later he's going to expose it. He's showing us the priority and the necessity of the gospel word for fruitful ministry. So don't come and tell me that you can just serve in the church. You need to grow and be equipped. As a deacon at Grace Community Church, the reason I went to seminary was not to become a pastor. It's because as my service grew, I came to a point and I said, I need to know the word better. I need to grow. I need to mature if I'm going to continue to grow in serving and helping and bringing people to Christ. Verse 9 through 11, the priority and necessity of separation from what separates us from Christ. Okay, number one priority, the gospel. The gospel doctrine, we need to be growing for the rest of our lives. And that's the leadership of the church, and that's every one of you. We never stop growing in the gospel, and you're going to see that it's going to be a sweetness in your life, and a joy and delight. And as it grows in your life, there's little room left. How do we battle sin? How do we battle evil desires? It's not just putting off. It's growing in Christ and seeing how much He loves us and how much He's done for us. And as we walk with Him and we see His beauty and His grace and the things that He's doing in our lives, it leaves no room in our life for the ugly things in this world. 
You can be a collector of many things, but until you get something precious, you don't understand how much rubbish you have in the home. Right? The priority of the gospel. Verse 9 through 11. The priority and necessity of separation. Verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies. Have nothing to do. Don't even be around it. Genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So the Apostle Paul is coming and saying, okay, there's two things pretty clearly that are going to take you away from Christ. Distractions, and there are distractions that are going to come in. Oh yeah, there's the evil of the world, movies, video games, Yes, okay? But he's talking about distractions in the church where we get caught up in secondary things. Should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? Should we get vaccinated? Should we not get vaccinated? Well, we do have to talk about those things. But when that becomes what we're fighting and dividing over and we're having these endless conversations about these things, what we're not talking about is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the gospel. Right? And it's a distraction from the gospel. We're to separate from those things. We're not to have anything to do with those things. And when people are spending their time and we say, look, please stop, and they persist, it's a red flag. They're not walking in the light. Their heart is somewhere else. And that's why the second portion he goes after is divisiveness. Because Christ died that we would be united with him and united with the brothers and sisters of the faith. He died for that, brothers and sisters. So in the history of the church, divisiveness is considered to be one of the greatest expressions of pride and unbelief because that's what Satan did in the garden. With lies and deceit, he brought division and divisiveness in the garden between Adam and Eve and God, and it divided everything. And this is what John MacArthur writes about divisiveness. He says, divisiveness is from the word from which we get heretic. The original word simply meant to choose. But eventually the term came to signify the placing of self-willed opinions above the truth. Refusing even to consider views contrary to one's own. It's being self-willed. My way is the right way. I'm right in my own eyes. In its noun form, it is associated with the serious deeds of the flesh. And this is in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. It's listed there along with drunkenness, carousing, envying, immorality, impurity. Divisiveness is right there. We don't think of it that way. But it's among all of those most lethal sins. The divisive or factious person will not submit to the word or to godly leaders in the church. He or she is a law to themselves and has no concern for spiritual truth or unity. Although false teachers certainly are the most devastating, factious people, Paul is here casting a broader net, which includes anyone in the church who is divisive and disruptive. Because the consequences of insubordination, non-submission, and bickering can be so destructive of unity among the Lord's people 
This is why the Apostle Paul commands that a factious man or woman be dealt with in this way. The Apostle Paul's harsh words apply not only to heretics and apostates, but to anyone who is factious or divisive. And then he quotes Romans 16, 17 through 18. Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Okay, I raise this, brothers and sisters, because we think of divisiveness as strictly false teachers like Benny Hinn. They come into the church, we're not going to have anything to do with them. But divisiveness can be simply grumbling against another brother and sister with another brother and sister. Did you know what this brother and sister did? I can't believe what they did. Did you see what they just did? That's divisive, brothers and sisters. A brother from this church went to another church and said, I don't particularly care for the preaching of the pastor. And one of the elders went to that person who was from our church and said, look, you're being divisive. We have unity here in the church and you're coming in with people who have learned to appreciate this pastor's preaching and you're saying, I don't like it. It's anything that comes from our pride and unbelief and self-will where we view our opinions better than others and we start throwing those things around. That's exactly what Satan did. We are to have nothing to do with that. Now, I grew up in an immigrant home where there was a plenty to grumble about and plenty of grumbling that happened. It's an immigrant experience. You're not treated fair. There's a glass ceiling. You're discriminated against at the workplace, at the school. There's plenty of ugliness that came on our doorsteps and injustice. But when you're saved, the gospel gives you a way to deal with that. You're able to go to the cross and you can share your difficulties in a way that is gospel. As a Christian, God has given you a gospel way to deal with that. How do we deal with that? We come to Christ. It's all the Psalms. And after we come to Christ in the Psalms, we go to our brothers and sisters if we need shepherding or counsel, and we say, show me from the Word what God's Word has to say about how I can deal with, how I'm being discriminated against in the job, how I'm being treated poorly by a brother and sister, How I deal with when I get the short end of the stick. What does God's word have to say? And what hope do I have in Christ? It's not that we don't address issues. We address them by way of the cross rather than the way of the world. When we do anything apart from the gospel, brothers and sisters, we will bring division in the household of God. Do not let the sun go down on your anger lest the devil get a foothold in your marriage, your church, your friendships, and your relationships. Instead, we address it. We don't deny it. We address it. We address it by the gospel. Okay? So, final instructions. Number one, the necessity of the gospel word. Insist on the gospel. The second, verse 9 through 11, the priority and necessity of separating from what separates us from Christ. That means, men, you're going to have to learn. And I didn't learn this till very late, till I was in seminary. You can tell someone, I don't want to hear anymore. They're going to be upset and offended. Their pride is going to be offended. 
But I've graciously had a brother say that to me. Bad things happened in the church. Well, what happened? One brother said. I said, well, this is what I know. And another brother said, stop, Mark. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to know what happened. It's not going to help me. All I know is I need to pray for these people. Don't bring me into the darkness. And it was a good rebuke for me. In your marriages, in your relationships, in the workplace, there's going to be, you're going to have to learn how to say, guys, listen, we're teaching our boys this at soccer. All manner of inappropriate talk is happening in the lines to play. All the guys want to show their swagger. I'm glad they're getting exposed to it. And to teach our boys to say, look, you have two choices. You can tell them it's inappropriate and ask them to stop. And if they don't stop, you need to walk away. And if your mom and dad are there, let us know or let the coach know. And we'll deal with it. But you're going to have to learn how to stand up and say, I'm not having any more of this. I'm separating. I'm not going to listen to this filth and let it come in. And the same is true of grumbling and discontent. To say, look, we can trust the Lord. It's hard. But grumbling is what kept people in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's what led to Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Okay? Instead, we put on grace and gratefulness. Verses 12 to 14, and I'm getting ready to land the plane. Thank you for being patient with me. As you can see, I had a lot in my heart. The priority and necessity of the gospel mission. Leadership and equipping for fruitful ministry. There's a priority of the gospel. There's a priority of stepping away from anything that's going to separate us from the gospel. And then as we come to the personal instructions to Titus, this is the priority of the gospel mission. The local church is here to support God's global mission. It's not just about us in San Jose and what we do in our little church. We're part of something bigger. We're here to serve Christ's mission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, of bringing the good news of the gospel that's going to save lost sheep around the world. That's what we're about. So he says in verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best, make every effort, labor hard to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best, verse 13, to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. 12 through 14. Artemis and Tychicus were part of the Apostle Paul's team. Tychicus is listed maybe four or five times in the epistles. And so what Paul is doing here is he's doing the very thing he's told Titus to do in the local church. What does he tell Titus to do in the local church? Set in order, okay, what, I've, what remains. Set up leaders in the local church. Well, here Paul is working on a global level for the missions and for all the different churches in the regions. And he's setting in order the leadership structure and he's sending two members of his team to replace Titus so that they're not left without godly leaders, priority of godly leadership in the local church, so that Titus can come and help him in Nicopolis, which is in the west, as Paul makes his way to Rome and as Paul obeys Christ to take the gospel to the entire world. He's going from east to west further and further away where the gospel hasn't been spoken. And he needs Titus. So he's doing the very thing. He's setting an order. He's using wisely and ordering gospel leaders. Okay, it's the gospel mission. And then what is he saying in verse 13? Zenos the lawyer and Apollos. Apollos, you know, he's been mentioned throughout Acts. These are gospel ministers. 
And so he's instructing Titus in the local church. You have a responsibility because of what Christ has done for you. And because the message came to you and saved you. To help these men who are taking the message to places that have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Make sure that they are taken care of. All of their needs to speed them on their way. So that they are not delayed. And there's an urgency here, as you see. There's an urgency in Paul's language that it's so important that these men are able to take this precious gift, the gospel, to people who have not heard it. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, people are dying and going to hell on a daily basis. Now, God chooses who's saved, but he works through us. And the reason we're here is not for ourselves. We're here to take the gospel message. And as Pastor John likes to say, you're either going or you're sending. But we're part of it together. That is why we're here. That is why we grow in the doctrine. That is why we grow in learning how to do good works in the church. And then he goes on to make this point. Leadership and equipping. Leadership and equipping. It's the work of the church. Because then he goes on and says, let our people, or the NASB I think does a a better job. Our people must learn to devote themselves to good works. That learn, same word that's used for disciples and discipleship making. It means, brothers and sisters, you don't get saved and come into the church and you automatically know how to do good works. You need to learn how to do it. Just because you were a great lawyer doesn't mean you're going to do good legal work in the church. Just because you're a great physician doesn't mean you're going to do great medical work or care in the church. Just because you're a great police officer, I'm thinking of that because I'm looking at Ben, and he's going to start as a police officer, okay? Doesn't mean automatically you're gifted in security. We need to learn from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ how to care for his sheep. If you're not learning from Jesus, you're learning from someone else. And that's bad news for the church. And that's why we must humble ourselves and become as little children. No matter how great we are in the world, we walk through those doors and say, Lord Jesus, teach me how to do good works. Very specifically, teach me how to be devoted and how to devote myself, the entirety of myself devoted to doing God's works. To doing whatever it is that's going to connect someone to the gospel. So you're working in parking lot duty. Oh, parking lot duty. It's one of the best jobs around. You get an opportunity to meet every visitor who comes through. And many of them don't know Christ. And you have an opportunity just in the tone or the way you say things or what you do to either show the love of Christ or show that your mind is on other things. You're the first witness that they walk and see. Setting up chairs. Why are you setting up chairs? You have an opportunity because we're setting up chairs because this is the place where the gospel ministry is proclaimed. And we're broken and we're imperfect and we might not do it well and we might not be spectacular, but Christ in us, we are serving the gospel ministry as opposed to this chair goes here, well, maybe it does. This goes here, maybe it does. What, the whatever attitude, it doesn't matter. Well, that shows what we think of the gospel message that's being proclaimed here. Does it matter or does it not? Is it worth good things or is it not worth good things? We had Bible school with our kids this afternoon. We gathered around the table. Tell my kids, I don't know whether they're saved or not. When we sit around the word of God, would you please sit up? Would you please listen and would you please give your best? Now they might not have the Holy Spirit. They might not be able to do it. But I am showing them. Whether you're aware of it or not, this word that is being spoken 
If you will let it, it will change your life. Even if you resist it, it's going to change your life. It is the most important thing in your life. So as long as you're in our house, you're going to pay attention as best you can. And dad will pray for you that you'll do that. And dad will do everything he can to help you. But let's be clear about it. It's not whatever. Why? Because this is the gospel that saved your mother and father. Finally, okay, the priority and necessity of sharing Christ's grace and love. Those are the final greetings. If you read them, you see that they're all about sharing God's grace. All who are with me send greetings to you. That word greeting in Greek, it's the idea of giving an embrace or a kiss. It's a visible demonstration that we are one and we're in unity and we are a family. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Okay? This is the summation of the letter. What's Titus about? It's the heart of Christ. Christ's heart is that his love and his grace would be shared with all men. How does that happen? Can I have my next slide? I've got two quickies and we're done. And I'll be done in two minutes. I don't know if you can see this. It's a hard one to see. Maybe you can see the Italian boot. And then maybe in the middle you can see Greece and you can see Asia. This is where Paul is moving. He's moving from Asia to Greece over to Rome. And he's going to share the love and grace of Christ with pagans who looked down on it and who had never heard the gospel. And that's why he says, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because Nicopolis is in the northwest of Greece. Okay? He's getting further and further and further and further into foreign and pagan territory. My final slide, please. Here's the question. If Christ has saved you, he saved you so that you can share his grace and love with a world that is dying. The way he does that in your life is the blueprint of the gospel in Titus. That's where he's taking your life. It's what we have up here. So the question for each one of you, where do we fit in? It's worth looking at this and saying, okay, where am I with his word and prayer? Where am I with his doctrine and duty? Where am I with his correction in my life? Where am I with his work and his fruit? Do you think about your marriages? Where's our marriage with the ministry of the word and prayer? Do we have time in the word and prayer together? Are we united in Christ? Is that where we start this marriage? Or is our marriage about many other things? Our roommates, our church, our elders. Where does it start? Is it with the doctrine and duty of Christ? Is that our top priority? Are we willing to receive correction? And are we doing God's work or are we doing the work of men? This summer we'll have the opportunity to call upon you to consider how you're going to serve in the church. Many of you are talented. Many of you are gifted. Many of you have things that are just there waiting in the wings. The Lord has called you to use those gifts for his glory to share the gospel of grace so that this church can share God's grace and love. You're not meant to be a fan. You're meant to be a participant. Christ saved you to be a part of his work. But brothers and sisters, we're either going to do it his way or we're going to do it our way. 
and his way is the gospel. So I'm going to ask you as we get ready to break up, please pray to the Lord and consider how he's calling you to grow, to be equipped and to be trained and to gather with others and to focus on the gospel so that you might have a fruitful life and ministry in the local church and in the world and so that you can bring Christ's grace and love to a world that desperately needs it. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for where your spirit is leading. Would you make us a Titus church? Would we be able to share your grace, your compassion, and your love? Lord, in the city of San Jose, in our marriages, our homes, our families, our places of work, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, Lord. And may the witness of Christ in our midst be great. In your name we pray. Amen.